photography for me is something that uh, shows a perspective on an image or an object or something like that. Just one direction of looking at something. Oh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, with a surveying background, you're used to kind of looking at things and measuring things. And kind of I realize that, well, I might have... Um, Having, having the fun of uh, playing with my father's cameras and was introduced to cameras of photography quite early on as a kid, uh, both, you know, of course, being recorded or photographed, and that was going from film camera uh, right the way through now to playing with him with digital and video recording. It's, it's interesting. It's one direction. It's one perspective, and that's where some of the new photography, you might say, is go getting kind of an interesting blur between film and photos uh, with the kind of... 3D perspectives that you're now getting with multiple lenses looking at something rather than photography for me has often been a single lens and uh, a single direction that you can look at something at. Mm -hmm. Right. Marin Pierce, thank you. Thank you for joining me on Shooting It Raw. I was thinking about it, like, how long have I known you? I'm not even sure. As long as at least something like shark finning or some animal uh, rights thing has been going on or something like that. And I've been in Hong Kong 14 years, so somewhere in that period, I'd say, Ren. Yeah, exactly. Let, let's just dive into the photos. And, you know, one of the pillars of, of the podcast is that is that of conservation. Yeah. And so we, there seems to be, I seem to know a lot of conservationists or that seems to be an important value for me and definitely one that I want to share with, with others. Yeah, conservation might be um, one word these days that uh, kind of has one, well, let's go back to the photography, one perspective, one view on things. Um, but as people start realizing and getting into whatever the concerned about conserving and why they're trying to conserve it then they start have to answer other questions and start balancing other perspectives or other impacts and that's where you might go from being in conservation we're like tree huggers as such you know someone that would stop a tree being chopped down in back in what 60s 70s there's a lot of that side of it and we're still fighting for trees to be stopped to be chopped down today particularly in our oceans because that's happening out of sight though the conservation word now is kind of drifting into the business world i think through this word sustainability mm -hmm. um you know csr esg all these different ac acronyms and it becomes how are you going to continue as one species living with other species or other things around and that's where i think the core of the conservation movement started realizing how things are all interrelated mm -hmm. um yeah, so, so let's just start with the, the first photo. So you sent me, uh, it says, I don't know if it's a self-portrait or somebody made the photo of you. Uh, you have a very kind of uh, a, a natural, open, positive, smiling face at the camera. It looks like you're in, well, in Hong Kong. <clears throat> and behind you, there's uh, Sun Street, uh, which is just so, you know, it's, it's so perfect that it's just kind of, pointing at your head and uh you have a nice smile it's uh you you take up like 80 percent you know it's a it's a very sweet portrait i would say it's in a res residential area of, of hong kong 
I don't know that it's on Lantau, but but what what was this situation? Yeah, so we're actually um, halfway between where are we, Wan Chai and uh, Admiralty in Hong Kong Island. It's one of the little side streets um, up in there where there's a nice little cafe. And we were just sitting there on one Sunday morning after actually the Kiwi Ball and uh, chilling, having some breakfast there. And it was a photo taken by my wife, uh, Louise. Uh, she was just sitting across the, the small coffee table from me there. So you're on a back streetscape, trees around you. You're kind of outside, but you're in the environment. You're certainly not in the open areas of Hong Kong. And uh, we're sitting there happily uh, watching dogs under the table and of other people and people just enjoying their Sunday mornings. Nice, nice. Um, well, look, I think, you know, if, if we think of each, either, like, for example, a photograph being an expression of, you know, how you want to, f- to frame the conversation, right? Uh, whether mm-hmm. implicitly or explicitly, uh, I think this kind of sets the tone very nicely for what kind of person you are as far as how I've seen you and how I, I've kind of experienced you, which is not especially flashy and yet warm and inviting. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm the only person who says this, but kind of um, no, no, no pretensions, no... I mean, is that a very Kiwi... A very a New Zealand uh, character trait, you'd say, or would you say that's just kind of how you're made? Partly Kiwi and partly even more so me. And and yeah, like you say, in the back there, there's the photo that says Sun Street, and I always try and look on the bright side of things or look for the positive of angle. Um, you know, there's always something that can be worse or something worse you could say to someone or that. So why not just keep going with the the more encouraging positive side and. Uh, and then work out where your differences are. You might say on that negative, darker side, and then you can mm. work out how the conversation can move together and you see common interests or objectives. So that, uh, too, is an interesting photo because uh, that's a pretty clean-cut-looking hairdo on that shot as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I've gone from hair lengths that are way beyond my shoulder, um, all you know, variety of different colored hair and things like that through my life, and... Uh, it's one of those things people go, oh, what's your hair up to kind of now? And it's just it's just like, well, I just felt like getting a short haircut. Oh, I didn't get around to getting it cut for a while. And so it's 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 that kind of approach, I'd say, that your airing is like, how do we get, get going and make fun of this opportunity? Let's let's see the bright side of things. Right. So okay, so um you uh, okay, so you, you said you you got to Hong Kong fifteen or so years ago. Uh, so what brought you out here? Well, I actually had a, a franchise for team building and personality training business that we had. Uh, there was four of us, my wife, Louise, and I, uh, my wife, Louise, and I, plus two other people had this uh, franchise. And we're all Kiwis, and there was a person running it up here in Hong Kong. So we'd been traveling up here for a year and a half or so before we moved up to Hong Kong. And we took on the challenge, you might say, of uh, coming to a new country and uh, running a franchise around people development, getting people working together in teams in a stronger, more understanding way, because we all know that uh, there's different styles of people in the world. And I think that's what I have enjoyed through my kind of uh, university life, realizing or school life type of thing, as well as sports things that you know, these, there's these people called introverts that don't really like talking on radio shows or they just want to read <laughs> books. And, you know, how do you work with those people? And it's this kind of fun that's like, 
I'm into so much like like te- like technology and wanting to try out new things, but it's also like, well, what's the old way of doing this? That might be the best. So with that interest of trying to get people to try new things, but know what the best option might still be the old way, and that's where I got into the team building side of things, and that works works really well for me to say, ah, right, now I need to be quiet. And let someone else think about that for a while and give them time to come back and respond. So I'm quite happy thinking and talking at the same time. Or I have to talk to think, some people tell me. Mm-hmm. This, I didn't know this about you. Um, I've only known you in the capacity of somebody who goes out into the world and talks about conservation issues uh, indirectly or directly. Um, I hear you on the radio uh, RTHK, the the main sort of not a public radio here in Hong Kong. Yep. Did, like walk me through that evolution of you. Okay, coming out here to do. Uh, I, I had no idea you're doing team building. Yeah. And- well, maybe there's a little bit of background to kind of uh, steps back between that, which are kind of these life kind of little journeys along the way. So if I try and do that in a semi short version, but it's probably going to take a few minutes. Um, yeah, brought up on a dairy farm in New Zealand, so had animals around you. We're about eight k's up the river from the beach. We'd go off to lakes, we'd go to the bush. You're always out and about. You saw the life cycles happening around you. you know, there's life and death happening regularly, you know, almost daily around you, and um, interactions. And that uh, really got me excited in nature, but I love numbers. And I was actually studying accounting and economics when at high huh. school. Uh, because I was good with numbers. I didn't like languages. I tried to get out of English as quickly as I could, and I managed to get out of that in my last year at school. But uh, last year at high school, there was an earthquake in Edgecombe, New Zealand, North Island for those, Middle North Island. And uh, when the earthquake had happened, it wasn't the first earthquake we'd been through, and the house had uh, got shaken off its piles, and you're kind of going, man, there's a bit of damage around. Luckily, no one was hurt. And a few days later, or maybe a week or so later, some land surveyors went past the gate and with these leveling kind of stuff. And I said, what are you measuring? Oh, inquisitive boy leaning over the farm mm-hmm. fence. And they said, oh, just uh, the new heights. And I knew the farm had changed because the back drain now was no longer running. It was kind of semi-tidal. Oh, wow. The farm had dropped 2.05 metres. Now, wow. for most people, if you put your hand up, and reach, tip your fingers up. That's about the length you know, we're talking. You know, it's it's the normal room height of a of a building in a in a, in a house or that. So it's like, well, how do you measure that? Where do you, where's the reference point? Where's zero? If the whole mm-hmm. lens moved, I'm like, what? And then they they started showing me some stuff, and I started seeing because um, they came back the next day to repeat their observations, and it was like, wow, this is kind of cool technology. So I ended up doing a land surveying degree, went down to Dunedin and Otago. And what I loved about that degree was I didn't want to be a property boundary surveyor, someone who was putting a peg in the corner of a property. And that's like digging up compost heaps and things like that. I want to play with technology and do different things. But I realized the degree had a really interesting mix of business, uh, law, presentation, communication. It was quite a broad degree because it was setting up people to run their own surveying business, right. which is how industry worked. Ended up working for the New Zealand government and uh, was very lucky when GPS technology was first starting to be put into surveying and engineering. So I was traveling the country, uh, training people on equipment, flying to amazing parts of New Zealand hmm. and 
also the back gullies of New Zealand. And I mean the back of factories, the back of industrial sites. And it, it just got me thinking about our development approach, mm-hmm. how we're polluting our country in so many ways. And that's globally. That's, that's everyone's country I'm talking about here, not just New Zealand. You know, New Zealand is looked at as being clean and green. But in perspective, when you consider we're about 5 million people spread across the same size as Japan, and what are they, 140, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to hide your bad behavior. Yeah. So New Zealand's done a lot of work at tidying itself up, and that's part of what I hope I've been part of. So this surveying degree, and they're moving into working with government for, for nine years, where you're writing standards and policy and trying to convince stakeholders to become more supportive of the direction you want to take the survey. I was able to use that at the same time as I was doing my volunteer work in the nature space. Oh, wow. And this is where I would be helping with tree planting this and bird recovery programs. And there was one particular one that I was on where I took two weeks holiday to go down to the bottom of the South Island. There's an island off there called Stewart Island. And next to that is another one called Fenuaho. And it is where they have the kākāpō, which yeah. is New Zealand's flightless parrot. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm so amazing. Yeah, just look kākāpō, K-A-K-A-P-O. Yeah. Kākāpō Recovery Project. Back in the mid-80s, there was only about 80, no, 50 birds known in the world. Wow. And when I was there in the, um, uh, what was this? It would have been... 2000, early 2000, 2001, uh, we'd got to about 87. And what we're doing is helping the birds continue to breed. Mm-hmm. So one day I was walking along holding a red toolbox, a little small toolbox. And inside that were three fertile kakapo eggs. Oh, wow. And you're walking over muddy terrain, you know, roots, slogging through things. And you're going, it's not very often you get to carry let's say 3% of the world's population of a species. Wow. I don't want to fall over now, do I? That's not going to look good on the ceiling. But it was just like, wow. How amazing. That's just like, yeah. And then people say to me, oh, wow, that'd be cool to be part of. And I say to them here in Hong Kong, we have things like the Chinese white dolphin, pink dolphin, or the finless porpoise. They're around 100. Guys, you can be involved with projects just about anywhere when you stop and think about it. And that got me really uh, deep into wanting to do more about conservation. And I'd been studying in Australia for my PhD, uh, deep, deep, deep into GPS technology, high precision, long distance surveys for millimeter accuracy was what I was studying. And But we'd go out and uh, camping. And of course, Australia's got everything dangerous, basically. Don't yeah. touch anything because it's going <laughs> to bite or kill you. And compared to New Zealand, where practically nothing can kill you. Yeah. Um, it was oh, a good wow. learning curve. Wow. But with people that were spotting cool plants and orchids, as well as the bats and all this stuff, got back to New Zealand and was just reminded of the variety of nature. Mm-hmm. And then this opportunity with work came up to travel to Antarctica. Oh, wow. And... Yeah, super special opportunity. So I was seven weeks down on the ice, uh, went down on the American program, so hanging out with the 2,000-odd two, uh, people at McMurdo, and about three, four K away, there's the little New Zealand base of uh, 70 to 90 people. Oh, wow. But when you're out surveying, and we had the opportunity to go out, oh, we're super lucky, uh, in the sense you're going to places where there's rocks in Antarctica, because that's where you need to put survey marks, because sure. we're looking at movement and that. 
And of course, near rocks, there are penguins, there are seals. Um, and so you had this wonderful nature experience. But when we went to South Pole, and you're a couple of K from the South Pole, and this is only two and a half kilometers high at this point, but it's dead flat, it's white, and there's no sound at all. Oh, wow. And you only hear your breathing. Huh. And you only get a little bit of ear noise going past you of the wind. And then, of course, when the wind's strong, you've got that wind noise. Sure. But you're just there quiet, nothing. You can't smell anything. Wow. Well, that's not quite true. Of course, you can smell yourself because you've been sweating it out and it's hard work type of things. But there's no other smells. And then when we came back from Antarctica, landed back in Christchurch, there's dust, there's noise, there's smell, yeah. there's all of this stuff. And you're just going, wow, our senses. What parts <laughs> of our senses are we using most of the time that we don't realize are turned on? And I think that's the part in Hong Kong. Not many people can go to a quiet place. Mm -hmm. You always have air conditioning. Mm -hmm. You always have road noise. Uh, it's very hard just to listen to the bugs chirping. Mm -hmm. And of course, in Antarctica, there was no bugs chirping on the grass. There was no birds flying past. There was no bees. Really interesting reminder. And so all of that together with my conservation interests and technology and doing things, I decided I couldn't write standards any longer for the government department. Mm -hmm. And so it was a case of I was writing, not interacting with people to really develop the standards. You were doing a slight isolation because I was a little bit still, you know, junior in the rankings. Sure. And so I went out and ended up working for an engineering company under my own standards that I'd written at the government doing survey work. Now, there's always a good practice point. So if you ever need to uh, write a document, just make sure you switch your location, your perspective and then try and see how well you've written those instructions. Mm -hmm. And that was a wonderful learning curve. And of course, I was able to feed back to the colleagues this different uh, perspective. And we're going back to the photography idea. It's like I now knew a lot more because I was doing something rather than thinking I knew how things were done. And this is the, the fun of trying stuff out that I love. Mm -hmm. And that's where the technology kind of got me into... Uh, talking to people about technology and realizing that I could train people on technology. And that's where the team building thing came through more and more at work. Uh -huh. So I became doing like ISO 9001 training, uh, helping people with new equipments and procedures and that, where I'd go into people and say, we've got this manual. I know you use it. And I say, well, I don't use it fully to them because I didn't. Uh -huh. And I know that you will be breaking the rules there somewhere. Right. And I want to know why you're breaking the rules, because I know you know which rules you're breaking, because there must be something wrong with the way the manual's written. Sure. So let's understand what's wrong with the manual, mm -hmm. look at the risks of why the manual was written a certain way, and then look at what you're seeing as a better way of doing it. And that was a great way to interact with people, because it's not saying, hey, you've got to do this right, clipboard officer. No, no, no. It was, can we improve this? And why are we making the decision that this is better? Right. So just, just if you don't mind, um, so you came here doing uh, a sort of a team building under this franchise or whatever, but was it a sector specific? Was it concentrated, for example, in engineering consulting or was it like, was it just broad, anybody who broad. wants this? Anyone. So if anyone's familiar with things like Myers-Briggs or Discs or Hampton, it was a variation on that. And it was a version, I'd, I'd had a number of these, been government department, a large engineering consultancy firm. You know, you've had these team building days. Mm -hmm. 
but they often were weird things that I never remembered. And the Myers-Briggs ones, I think it's great. It's just that I don't remember the name, even mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. Am I an E-N-T? Oh, right. whatever. Whereas the simple thing was, I'm a supporter. Right. Or I'm a star or I'm a creator, a uh, deal maker, yeah. or I'm a mechanic. And all of those words, you kind of instantly know, yeah. oh, I think that's the kind of person. And sure. then the order that those people work together, you know, if you say to my wife, Louise, who's very much an introvert, she's a, a Lord type of person. She's kind of collecting, watching the numbers, collecting everything's right numbers. And I say, should we do this? And the first thing is, well, how are we doing that? It's like, no, that's not a word that I don't know. That's like a sword chopping me down. Right, it's like, right. I don't know how we're going to do it. It's just like, should we do it? It sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then you need to work to the people that know other people, i.e. through the support deal network, so that you can go, ah, oh, this person's tried it. They know this person that's doing that. Then you build up your bit of how. Then you bring it through to the mechanic that goes, right, now we can really make it fine-tune it. Think of the motor mechanics. Like, we can get this engine running really cool by doing this and this. Right. But they got the general concept. Don't get them to build the car. Just get them to fine-tune it type right. of thing. That's where, for me, it was sector-wide. But, of course, my contacts, my background from an engineering, surveying, um, and environment attracted people that I was meeting from that space. But that was the only reason. Uh-huh. Okay. I know that you are by interest, profession, training, somebody who, uh, you're, you're a good storyteller. I mean, like, I, what I love is that now that I'm getting to know you better, somehow we've managed to travel to, to New Zealand, then Australia, and then, you know, Antarctica. I had no idea. And then we come back to Hong Kong. And one of the things that I find really amazing, so for example, in, in Canada, you know, when we would kind of make dinner, Friday night dinner, there was always soup right? And you could just leave soup overnight on the stove and then eat it in the morning and it's fine. Whereas uh, here, like in Hong Kong, I feel like the sort of the, I don't want to call it the viral load, but the sort of, there's so much alive around you is that you leave something outside overnight. You've got everything from these mega cockroaches to, I mean, it's going to get funky like so quickly. Yep. Yeah, you, you do have to remind uh, listeners too that you're probably talking in parts of uh, Canada, like parts of New Zealand. If we're out bush, you know, in the camping, going mountains, and that when we say put something outside or leave it out, the hut you're staying in sometimes it's frozen outside. I mean, right. it's ice cold, so it's like colder than the fridge. So yeah. good luck to anything that's going to eat that. But I do know, even in the house situation, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah critters crawling around and flying around and jumping around all the time here sure sure i mean which is kind of which is really interesting to to have the the juxtaposition of for example antarctica where you said where you know when you go to the pole it's just it's quiet you you barely smell anything and then and for example i live in a world of smells so uh i could see like i for myself you just telling that story really kind of raised that for me and tanking that part a little bit because while we're filling in time, waiting for, you know, eight hours of GPS measurements, we were next to both like Scott and Munston's huts, and we were lucky enough to go inside those. And you walk into this hut, and here's the seal that's been on a table. No, penguin, not seal. Penguin, it's been on a table for over 100 years. And there's a biscuit, biscuit tin still sitting there with biscuits next to it. And you walk in and going, there's no smell, but I can see a dead animal. That's wow. strange. The brain's got, uh, I'm, you know, I was like, there's some, one of the senses is missing something here. What's wow. going on? Wow. And just 
that, that you know, again, is part of that things that we, we walk into a situation and our perspective is going to be we're expecting this to happen hmm. or get this experience. And that's what I love about looking at things from different ways or different perspectives. Well said. I'm going to take this moment to switch over to the next photo. So the next photo is called Another Sad Beach Scene. And the, the photo is, I mean, for the, it, if, if I did a kind of survey of the, the images in the Shooting It Raw library now, there'd be a few. I mean, not, not many, but there'd be like three or four, maybe five photographs of beach scenes where there's garbage across, across the, the, the sand. And in this case, the majority of the image, the, the, it's essentially the, the plane of the photo is uh, th- there isn't much perspective, so it's very flat. And across the whole uh, field, and if you looked at it as a kind of abstraction, it would be quite pretty because, you know, you've got the brown of the sand, you've got the blue of the plastic, the white, the mm-hmm. yellow, the mm-hmm. red. Um, but it's obviously not a question of it being pretty at all because at the bottom, where I guess you are the one who is making the photograph, we can just see your, your shadow uh, giving a thumbs down image and it's called the photo is called another sad beach scene and so why don't you walk us through this this image yeah it's it could be beaches anywhere in the world this is the sad part these sad. days and and i say sad why do i say sad um and what have we been trained to think that that is sad uh it's not natural in the sense that it's not other creatures putting stuff there it is humans putting a lot of stuff on beaches mm-hmm. and where i'm going with this is plastic is not a bad thing it's just how it ends up in our environment and how we're seeing it lasting longer than we're expecting or liking it to so this beach actually is in Moiwo, and it's the silver mine beach which normally is sweet beautifully clean six times probably a day so oh, wow. that people coming to the beach never see it this is the story of uh, gazetted beaches in Hong Kong. They mm-hmm. have continual cleaning crews. Yeah. And so most people go to the beaches of Hong Kong and think, what's all the story about plastic on the oceans? What's all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. You only have to turn up in the morning. And this is after about the time of the year we're coming to. Heavy rains are about to start. Mm-hmm. Things get flooded. And this can be in Hong Kong. This can be anywhere. Uh, it could be in mainland. It could be beaches and uh, yeah, rivers in New Zealand. It doesn't matter where we are. Stuff gets washed into the rivers, and then all of a sudden, it's focused down and comes out the Pearl River Delta. Mm-hmm. And then this wraps back around onto the beaches here. And so this was one of those. And uh, the, the shot is actually looking along the beach. And if I tilted the camera up a little bit, you'd have seen lifeguard towers and oh, wow. hotels and houses and things like that. Uh, but it was all about just kind of stopping and looking at all the different things that are in there and where they come from and the journey of it. And so there's, uh, there's people that are way cooler at doing this than me. And I love the way that there's ones that are using colors of the different plastics and matching different things that are natural with the plastic. So for me, it's this case of like, here we go. We're going to have a couple of days of really hard work loading up this stuff off the beach. Um, Of course, we think that's a good thing to do. Working with the cleaners and putting it in plastic bags, non-biodegradable stuff straight to the landfill. Yeah. And there's a lot of it that could have been separated out Mm -hmm. and could have then naturally decomposed somewhere. 
because it's not going to decompose in the landfill because they're run as a dry chamber to basically mummify stuff. Things don't disappear in landfills Mm -hmm. in the skull. So that's that photo, and there's many beaches and many people that have uh, inspired me and still inspire me to do this type of thing. I've kind of gone from the beach cleanup person to I'm trying to get to the top of the cliff to put a fence at the top to kind of help slow the, the flow of stuff entering mm. our environment and that's where i spend my time more now than on the uh you might say at the bottom of the cliff where the uh, it's too late for the ambulance to get to right so so just the, the surface area of the photograph is probably it's not very large it's probably the size of uh, of a 700 square foot plot of land or or so, like it's not a huge volleyball court maximum yeah, size not very big than that you know but it goes for a couple of hundred meters like that. And that's just one beach on South Lantel. And you're looking at hundreds of pounds of, of garbage. Clearly, most of it is... Pl- Actually, the garbage side of it is mostly plastic, right? So it's, yep. just, it's just... I don't know if it's a question of word choice because of you're from New Zealand. And the word sad has a, a different connotation that I would have chosen, which would be tragic... Uh, but tragic, you know, is not technically the right word because nobody, you know, there's no tragedy in the sense of a, of, of everyone dying. Just well, there's yet. indirect slow death. That's yes. the problem for yes. us, for creatures, animals, that, isn't it? It's not, it's not like a, a violent accident, you know, yeah. train crash, plane crash, a lot of things. Don't. But having said that, we're only looking at it probably at a macro scale. We haven't worked out. In amongst that, there's definitely dead fish and critters and stuff right. like that that get caught up on it. Um, and so, and not to mention the microplastics. Of, yep, microplastics and microorganisms as well. Right. So it's it's again, what are we missing in this story when you're looking at it and going? If I'm thinking it's sad at this level, is that the top of the iceberg or the bottom of the iceberg? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to the next image because um, I can see from the thumbnail that it's going to be a little, little bit more, more, a little br- brighter because I think what we're going to end towards is, because is, for example, like yourself, I'm also, even though I face the ugliness and the tragedy of, of, of what we're looking at, uh, I somehow managed to ha- hold on to that glimmer of hope, that little thread of, of optimism and positivity. So... Uh, hopefully we'll find that thread among the garbage, which, but I think, I think we will because uh, the next image is certainly a good place to start, if it's okay with you. Did you want to say more about the previous image? No, I think we can blend it through. It'll okay. come back to the same thing. I'm sure any one of the next, <laughs> each next photos goes back to the same topics. So, you know, I, I have mentioned before that I'm a little bit crazy and uh, just from uh, listening to you speak and looking at this image, I know that you two are among the, the, the crazier people here in Hong Kong. So the photograph is uh, on a sort of a flat space in Hong Kong trails. The, say, one third of the, ch- of the photo is just sort of the exposed trail ground where you can see some roots, a little bit of these wooden... like. Um, rock steps that have been carved out or placed and then yep. you're seated i guess you're giving water to to your your dogs and yep. around you is this really nice it's not the full-on lush green of the hong kong uh trail it's this is more like i don't know autumn maybe even winter uh foliage in the background 
And uh, you have you leaning, like looking over your left shoulder, and you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six dogs with you. All of them are off lead, I, I assume. Uh, yep. not, they seem yeah, to be yeah. well, well behaved. Um, so what, what's this image, you crazy lunatic, you? Yeah, well, um, I love dogs and been brought up on a farm, you know, having animals around and farm dogs, always had dogs around. And in this photo at the time, the one closest to me is actually a foster dog that we had because we ended up uh, helping people, let's say, with uh, wayward dogs. <laughs> and um, he was a bit big and aggressive. Uh, and after a year, though, he's become, uh, a, a, he went from being a foster dog to our dog and he's been with us uh, two and a half years now. So Salvador is actually lying on the floor right next to me as we are doing this interview. Oh. He's got down to 32, pound, uh, 32 kilograms now. And uh, there's two other dogs actually in this uh, room that I'm sitting in doing the recording. Uh, so love dogs being around. So the other dogs, we uh, look after dogs for people when uh, they get caught short with travel or things like that. Oh, nice. And so a couple of them uh, are, are there. And then there's another one, a kind of a black dog with kind of like uh, a few uh, tan spots. Trident, he was a foster dog that we uh, managed to home here in Muiwo. And uh, we used to live next to his new home. He thought it was great. So I'd walk past and you hear this kind of ee, 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 kind of weird dog Aww. noise coming from. And he's there at the gate waggling. So you open the gate, WhatsApp the owners and saying, dog's coming with us. And off he comes for a walk. You know? Oh, sweet. And the other and the others were two other friends, dogs, and saying, hey, you're going for a walk and you're taking him for a walk. So quickly, I think I've managed to work out the six dogs in that photo. But oh, we're wow. just sitting up, up on... Uh, between Namshan, uh, which is the saddle when you're driving between Muiwo to Puyo, there's a track that comes around the ridges and goes back over towards Chima One. Yeah. And the trees in the background are a reminder, too, that this is a, an area that's been reforested because uh -huh. uh, Hong Kong trees were basically all chopped down during the, the wars and uh, not very, very little part of the bush that's actually native uh, trees in the sense that uh, older growth ones yeah and it's only a few feng shui woodlands and so in this spot you're actually now starting to see what are gum trees or acacia trees in the background in this area that the, the afcd is now thinning out and allowing the native plants to come back up through mm -hmm. so it's kind of an interesting background and what i love about the the stone steps is there's things here called boulder paths which are two three four hundred year old trails the old road routes. Um, we just got a little conversation happening in the background that someone's sniffing the dog food and someone else is getting a bit upset. So, Salvador, can you go back to sleep, please? Ernie, get your head out of the dog food. No, hey, stop it. This is not what we're doing over the food. Sit down. Thank you. Right. Now, this is the part about best behaved most of the time, just like humans. There's <laughs> moments where we get to and we say, I've had enough of you and I'm going to just give you a little niggle. So, hey, both of you sit down. So, it's all good. We're going to have fun here. Thank you. Yes. Right. Oh, so that's give them awesome. a bit of loving attention. And that was awesome. Gone. Okay. <laughs> that was like right on cue. Oh, my goodness. How did they <laughs> exactly. know? I know. This is the world. It's a perspective. See, we're thinking about the world from a certain sets of vibes, channels, energy. I don't get this stuff at all, but I just know there's some other... Uh, interwebs, sure. you might say, that sure. we are definitely part of. And it's like, don't get upset with them. 
That's just hilarious. say to them, is that the behavior you want, guys? That's and great. they both agreed no. And one of them has <laughs> kind of gone and sat down in the corner looking back I, going, I, have to, I shouldn't I, have done that. Hats off to you, though, because, uh, I mean, I realize you know that you're performing. Like, you know, the, the mics are on and, and uh, you know, this is great. This is really just, you know, handled like a professional. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> well, credits to, you might say, Mr. Phil Whelan for putting up with me for uh, the last, oh, it's about eight years that I've been doing uh, interviews with him on RTHK for uh, Morning Brew. And a lot of, lot of fun. Like you say, every, every time the recording is never going to be your best performance, but it's good practice for the next recording. Wow. And uh, you get that happening. So up on the hill where these boulder paths are, these really old stone trails, um, the cool thing is the government here is often criticized for concreting paths. In the last couple of years, they've sent people off to be trained again on doing stone yep. work to build paths. Yep, and they're I've repairing seen it. the trails with it. And they're using wood as well as stones. And you're just going, oh my goodness, I don't I don't know if they know how excited some people are for this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure others are complaining, saying, why are they still putting stones here rather than right. concrete? You're just going, it is so cool that they're doing this on our really busy trails yeah and that's what i enjoy walking so take the dogs out for a spin in that place it's about an 8k loop that we can do the back of the hills uh, around here which brings you back around the waterfront and um possibly that's a, a good position that you're coming into muiwo bay that you've got the uh like the helicopter pad and things like yeah. that at the yeah. pier. so you come back into the town but it's a good mix because i get to go up some old boulder steps through some reasonably nice regrowth forest plantations back out through a cemetery uh down through a view out across the bay towards chung chow and chimawan and then you turn the corner and you start seeing all of the massive buildings back in the central tst you know, side and then you then in, then just to bring you back into reality it's highly likely you walk around the corner and there's a water buffalo blocking your path yeah it's that kind yeah. of walk yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, Lantau Island for me, I, I've lived on Lantau, I, you know, it's such a, a, a magical place. Uh, I think it's also really interesting that things like this podcast, right? So Hong Kong is one of these really interesting places that it's always been a kind of a place of transition and, and, yep. and a conduit, right? Where yep. you have change in terms of either commercial change or commercial movement or cultural exchange. Uh, it's a fun, it's a really unique place for that. And right now, with the pandemic and before that, you know, with the, the protests and before that, they, there's always this kind of change and upheaval and renewal and all this business. And um, what's kind of interesting is that this podcast and, and other recordings are capturing a little portrait, right, of this time and mm -hmm. what's really interesting in how what you bring to it and your your attention and consciousness is that you're this guy from New Zealand who's spent a lot of time looking at the solid landscape, the anchored landscape, right? Like so for example, the yep. fact that you notice things like these like the boulder trails, the boulder placements, you're also speaking about it through the filter and the lens of somebody who has done things like surveying and reading the landscape in terms of the okay so you've got the trees and you've got the the fauna and everything but that's all kind of shifting and growing and whatever very quickly on top of this 
uh, more stable kind of uh, uh, platform or rock or, yep. or whatever. So time scales, yeah, time scales yeah. are really important. Yeah. Uh, so so it's quite fascinating to have your your interpretation and your and, and your brain and, and the awareness, for example, of because you're around dogs so much and because I'm around dogs so much. I am quite conscious of how their perception and understanding of reading the environment and the world is so different than how we see the world, right? Mm, mm, and so yes. you have these five Hong Kong special type dogs, right? Just they're mongrels. You know, they're not, they're, they're like mixed breeds. Yeah, I think all those animals in the photo are all, uh, yep, very special combinations. None of them have are close to looking like a pedigree anything. Yeah. So it's, for somebody who hasn't been to this part of the world, they might just be like, yeah, well, okay, it sounds kind of interesting and exotic, but what would you say to somebody from New Zealand? And it's really funny because just in the pre, I didn't know you were going to be on, on this episode, but in the previous episode, I was, started, I was just like, let's pick on somebody. Let's pick on uh, somebody from New Zealand. And I was just like, ah, no, let's not. Let's not pick on somebody from New Zealand. And here you are. You're from New Zealand, so I can pick on you. So it's a, it's a very, <laughs> very nice of you to join. But how do you overlay your, your growing up and your understanding of the world to now walking through these trails? So the setting is quite different. So how, yeah. do, you, how do you connect those? How do you create a bridge between those two experiences? Well, it's saved by the cows on the path here or the water buffalo because, I mean, that's just totally crazy. You know, being brought up in a country where we put all the cows in paddocks and kept them in paddocks and moving them around. You come to Hong Kong and you go, what the, these cows roaming free? I mean, just that, that that's like, I kind of get that in India or those places, but Hong Kong. So it's that kind of um, amazing variety that Hong Kong has. And think worthwhile pausing on that time scale thing because you're talking about the energy of hong kong and that you know we're brought up on craters here it's volcanic it's all volcanic the nine pins and out of the geo park in the eastern corner incredible incredible uh, geology out there uh-huh. uh you know massive uh meter round hexagonal columns that are ash flow from a uh, volcano not the lava the ash that's come out of a massive volcano and then it's formed up to make these pillars. And you're just going back to the first part, like, hang on, didn't this boy say he's brought up on a place that sunk two meters um, and it's shaking most days and things puff and blow and wiggle? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got that part, but it's the uh, a credit to my time in Australia where you go traveling and you say to someone, what does this Aboriginal place name mean? And it says, oh, the Boiling Mud River. Uh, that flowed underground and you kind of go and we're off to see some lava caves that are now hollow lava caves yeah and you go yeah i get that they've been here sixty thousand, eighty thousand, whatever number insert their years because the freaking place is named after how it was right and it's kind of like you're just going yep okay they know this place and that's where then i bring in the land surveying part and my deep dive into gps I never knew that that there's things called earth tides. There's mm. things that we know there's like ocean tides. But when right. we're monitoring for sea level movement, we're having to adjust for the weight of the ice still coming off and the rebound of parts of Europe. 
Oh, because wow. the ice has melted enough that the ground is still springing back mm-hmm. at a millimeter or two a year. Oh, and wow. you're going, so each day the with the moon and us spinning, the, the solid ground is going up and down. And then you go, we're just this, you know, you might say the skim milk on the top of the uh, hot uh, soya milk that's bubbling away underneath. And we're just this little bit of skin on the top that we call hard that's mm-hmm. moving and shaking in that. And that's the, the interesting part of the science coming in. So when you look at this landscape of Hong Kong, you're going, wow, it was just like yesterday out at Potoi Island, uh, looking back at Beaufort going, there's very low trees on that. There's hard rock. How many hundreds of years has that been like that? Because I yeah. don't believe that there would have been big trees there. And then you go to a, a place, and for those of you who used to travel to the airport or know Hong Kong Airport in the new spot, out of the Caribbean coast, uh, one of the tower blocks there, or the building states, there's like eight or ten really tall towers. And in the middle, or to one side, there's one of them missing. That's because the ground beneath it is just so open with hollow caverns and that they couldn't build the foundation oh, there. I didn't know and that. you're just left going wow as a surveyor when someone buys a block of land you're normally allowed to do some kind of geotechnical work and understanding a lot of the land sold here in hong kong they they don't get much investigation of the land so you buy it kind of unknowing oh. what's under the bonnet <laughs> and all of this fun of how the property development happens and the interaction with wildlife is keeping me here but there's one part of the story is like we've missed and that is uh, so when we sold the franchise for the team building personality profiling, it was one of those periods saying, OK, maybe I should have spoken some more Cantonese. Maybe I should have know a little bit more about that cultural side. Am I going to put the effort into that or am I going to put the effort into stuff that really um, is excites me? So as I said, not excited by languages, really. Uh-huh. I just need to know how to get food, how to say something nice to someone and the rest can do a sign language, you might say. And um, so we're pondering, right, where are we going to go now that we're sold the business? Now, the instantly was like, where are we going to go? And then it's like, well, when we get to there, what are we going to do there? Mm -hmm. Wife and I kind of had a couple of weeks of kind of going, yeah, what do we want to do? What is what is about? And where we settled on and why we're still in Hong Kong is that I looked at it and there's such a big companies and trading going on in Hong Kong that if I can have a couple of minutes time with a couple of CEOs and change their mindset, the impact globally from being based in Hong Kong is way more than I could be in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And that's where we decided to stay here because part of the sourcing next to the manufacturing, most of the end quote crap that's sent to New Zealand Uh, that we choose to buy because it's short-term buying, purchasing that we know the world's going through, which puts the crap on the beaches, Mm -hmm. is is that I can probably do more from being in Hong Kong to keep beaches in New Zealand clean than if I went back to New Zealand and tried to change the mindset of the people uh, purchasing things in New Zealand. And that left us with this fun position that I've been lucky enough after working for Friends of the Earth for four years uh, doing environmental things around roadside air pollution and food waste, that I got involved with corporates here. And one of the projects I've done with the purpose business 
is working with Jardine Matheson, looking at some of their waste strategies. Oh, wow. Jardine Matheson, for a few people, might know the name, but not many of the companies. They have property, they have car, they have construction, they have food chains, like that. And across Asia, they employ around 400 to 420,000 people, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And you then sit in the boardroom hearing that and you go, New Zealand capital, Wellington, greater population of Wellington, 400,000. Right. I'm now talking to the boss of the who controls the whole of a city that I thought was big. Yeah. And you're kind of going, now there's a chance for change. Right, right, right. Um, I, I, I think I could talk to you for days. <laughs> but we and, and you gather that I could talk for those days. <laughs> <laughs> but but look, you know. But I think what I what I love is because you clearly have done this before, and you are you know you're comfortable with a mic in your face, and you you know how to express yourself well. And I like that you've seeded you you know how to seed your 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 speech with with things that we can pick up later. So for example, you said you know wanted to do a deep dive. And uh, I don't know if that's you being kind of cheeky about uh, seeding the for the next photo, because what that was a great segue that I'm gonna I'm going to move us along to go to the next photo, uh, and then then see where we end up from there. So you titled it "Pondering What We Do Not Know About Nature uh, on a Dying Reef in the Maldives." So somebody has made a photo of who's close-ish to the surface of you swimming beneath them and it's you i'm assuming you're the one in the photograph yeah uh, correct you're you're just you're free diving or you're you're snorkeling and you're you know the 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 tone of the image is mostly this you know the beautiful blue of being out at sea and with reefs be beneath you and so what's the story of this one because what 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 i see is a lot of dead coral so what, what's hmm. the story here? Yeah. Yeah. And once you know, you can't unknow. And that's the cool thing about having a conversation with someone because others would look at that photo and go, wow, look at those long fins or wow, look at that beautiful blue water. But instantly we see the impact that's gone on in that place. So we're connecting with it. And yeah, so this was two, two and a half years ago, coming up three years ago, actually. Thinking about it now, seeing we haven't basically been traveling for two years, isn't it? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, three years ago, uh, we were lucky that friends hired a catamaran and we were allowed to join them in the Maldives. And we were off uh, this stage. I was just trying out my mate's uh, wonderful long freediving fins. Now, I'm wow. only about five or eight meters under the water here. Um, you know, these things are stuff that, People that know how to use them can go down 40, 50 plus meters easily and come back. So I'm just trying these out. Friends blobbing along on the top, taking a photo. But I'm going along going, there's not many fish here. I'm seeing a lot of dead coral. Oh, there's a little bit of live coral. And what people often don't know is white coral is not a good color for mm -hmm. coral. Coral should be colorful. And colorful in the case that it can even be black and it's alive, which is interesting uh, when we think about what we think of alive and dead. Mm -hmm. And this is just such a reminder of me, this photo is one. I love the water. I get it's one of my 
probably better than going bush. It's one of those places I can just blob out and really zone out, even though I get motion sickness. So mm-hmm. diving and looking at stuff, I come up and I'm uh, a write-off. Uh, the fun part is that you hear things differently underwater. You see things differently underwater. And I really like going past something close. And going to the Maldives and seeing how this was and seeing the environmental challenges they have there, having been... 18 years before, maybe 20 years before, out on a little reef uh, up on the southern part of the Great Barrier Reef of Australia called Lady Musgrave Island. We had seven nights out on an island there where we had to take everything. We just camped out there and you could just jump into the little lagoon, go swimming and seeing turtles and everything alive. Coral bleaching hadn't really happened at that point. Mm Mm-hmm globally at a large scale in recent times um but this in the Maldives is all this coral bleaching going on and the the there's so much about the stories about the people like the tour guide that we're with and that saying look this has just been amazing change it's really sad uh how much has died what's going to happen you know where are we going is the sea level rise is this climate change is this a natural cycle and all good questions that it's hard to understand when most people are thinking one year ahead or five years ahead, is this just a natural cycle? Don't mm-hmm. know for that region. So really enjoy that, um, again, a different lens on the world because our oceans are so big and we know so little about them mm-hmm. and especially open oceans. And we know that at the moment the word seaspiracy brings up a great conversation for many people at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I say a great conversation because just talking about it, understanding it better, understanding that there's practically no real laws out in the open ocean uh, about what goes on and the clear felling of grounds in the ocean and the dumping that the knocking down of those forests under the sea is just the same as what we've been trying to stop in parts of the world for years and manage together, working with our ways of how do we live, crop, feed ourselves, survive without destroying what we need. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the fun of being brought up on a dairy farm yet again, because closing out with that kind of thought, I was, people say to me, oh, you should be back, you know, not, um, you should be protesting against deforestation for palm oil. And I kind of go, but do you still have, do you eat beef? Do you uh, drink milk? Because I was brought up on a swamp that has been drained which is one of the big issues we know with uh, chopping down rainforests with the carbon sinks on these peat beds. Right. And you're just left going what looks like a nice green paddock today, or take the UK example, you know, green paddocks, big trees, are those nature forests or they have been modified, those environments, so much. Sure. So it's this, this kind of thinking that when I'm out exploring, it's like, what don't we know? What are we missing here? Mm-hmm. And, of course, Rather than the elephant in the room, the great thing is when you're snorkeling and that is like, what's the big blue thing that comes out of it? And we did, a few hours later, have the pleasure of being uh, allowed to swim alongside a whale shark. Oh, there. Wow. And, and that's just like so big, so cruising, so small. And you're just next to it going, yeah, you're just that little mouse next to the elephant. Right, right. Uh, you're, you know, I, I didn't know where the conversation would go and... and Let's try to, try to not wrap it up or tie it up into a neat little bow, um, because the whole thing is the world is complex and it takes yep. a lot of dedicated energy to think about and explore and all that stuff. So 
looking back, thinking about it, sharing, you know, the expertise that you have, what can you say to, to somebody who um, wants to somehow get deeper into this kind of world to kind of find their feet? Oh, simple. I say there's a couple of two, two or three or four or 20 things that spring to mind with that. One is pretend you're a two-year-old. And what I, I don't have children, so I'm not sure if I'm speaking for the right age here, but basically the stage they get to why, 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 and just keep on asking why, because the first time, and I did say it three times, because the first time you'll get an answer. The second time when you follow up, someone has to think a little bit longer. And by the third one, you probably get to a point where they've reached their knowledge and there's some uncertainty about whether it's going to be left or right the better choice. Mm -hmm. So when you go in there, it's like, okay, we've explored that, we've thought about that, we're thinking these considerations and these impacts. And that's all it takes, uh, uh, taking whatever you're passionate about or annoyed by, which is just passion that's got unused energy yet. You don't have direction. That's what frustration is, is getting, getting that energy into something that you're actually motivated by rather than depressed by and so it's that kind of ask the right question and then to assess it one that i heard which i just love now and replay back to myself many times is like if i make this choice what am i going to think of it when i'm sitting on my rocking chair in a few years time because i now on the rocking chair on my porch of a place thinking back on my life and talking about it to someone did I make a choice that I can say at that time, the best thing we knew and the best direction was this. And I went with my knowledge, gut instinct, all of those together and said, yep, I'm glad I tried that. Nice. Marion, thank you. Pleasure. Loving this. Shooting it raw?